hope, hope went out across the radio waves um, of Colorado earlier this year. Hope, new quarterback, <laughs> new coach, new owner, hope. Uh, how'd that go for us? Huh? Oh, man. Um, no joke, that, I was on the, the um, sports radio, and, and it kind of got me pumped. I thought there was some hope this year, and I was pretty excited, and uh, no one anticipated for us to be worse than we were ever. Um, but we're reminded just how um, quickly, there's so many things the world offers and says hope, and it's as fleeting as um, a new quarterback, um, hope things that we might rest in where we think only if this happens and we turn this corner in my life, um, then I'm going to find hope just around that corner there. But a lot of those hopes of the world were reminded they're, they're forgeries. They, they fall short. Um, they're not true hope. They're not rock solid hope. And we're reminded that there is a true hope. We're created for hope. We do long for hope. So that message Across the, the uh, radio waves of hope, um, yeah, it stirred hearts, uh, then it fell flat. But we're created for hope, and we're reminded of that hope as we look at our passage today. And we will be in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. So you can um, pull that up if you haven't, and we're going to be in that passage, and it's an amazing passage. And as I was studying this week... I looked at some notes from J.C. Ryle, and hopefully uh, that gives me a chance to remind you that in the back we have some Advent devotionals, and we bought enough for one for each home, and uh, because of traveling and sickness, there's still a whole bunch back there, but hopefully we can get it to everybody. We might have to do some home deliveries, <laughs> the mask on, and give it to some people, but um, grab those, and those are um, from their... Uh, a compilation of writings from J.C. Ryle, who in the 1800s, he was an Anglican bishop, and he wrote and preached well. And as I was going through this passage, I thought I should look at some um, notes from him and see some things that he has said. So throughout the sermon, you're going to see, I'm going to quote a time or two from J.C. Ryle from his expositional thoughts on the Gospels. So as he looked at this passage, even this is what he had to say about this passage. He says, we have in these verses the announcement of the most marvelous event that ever happened in this world, the incarnation and birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a passage which we should always read, and this is what I love, it's a passage that we should always read with mingled wonder, love, and praise. And I think it's a passage where we do, we read, and there's, there's wonder in the midst of it, and love and praise that should be um, in our hearts as we look. And in it, though, too, we're going to see hope, hope of all different kinds. And as we first begin, in the first few verses of 26 through 30, we see hope in the grace of our God. There's just all these different ways where we see grace. And it's these words of grace, these situations of these graces, acts of God that are just grace. And in them, we should find great hope in them. So it begins verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. So it begins, and it says the sixth 
month. So what's it speaking about? Well, it's looking to the passage right before it, where there is an announcement by the angel Gabriel. He comes to Mary here, but before he went to Zechariah and announced the birth of John the Baptist. And in the Gospel of John, we've, we've talked a lot about John the Baptist. So we have the account of his birth, and he was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were in uh, their old age. They were way past childbirthing years. And an angel says, you will, will have a son. And it's the impossible birth um, that comes of John the Baptist. And this was about six months earlier. So Elizabeth is six months along. And we will see reference of that again in, in verse 36 later on. So in the sixth month, an angel Gabriel, again, the angel that had, had appeared to Zechariah, now goes to Mary and appears and goes to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth. So Nazareth is the city that God chose to pick Mary and Joseph. And Nazareth is a rather unimportant, um, kind of small, forgettable city of Nazareth. If you remember, if you remember, as we've walked through John, there's the account where Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, we have found the Messiah, it's Jesus of Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. And what does Nathaniel say? Do you remember? He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? So I don't know what his beef was with Nazareth, but he was not excited about anyone coming from Nazareth. And I joked how maybe you might say, hey, come visit my church. My pastor's from Greeley. And they'd be like, oh, from Greeley, nothing good comes from that stinky cow town. But, so, but I don't know. But it was unimportant, a little bit forgettable of a city. As I was studying, I learned that it's kind of interesting. It's always interesting to, to see different background things. But in 1962, in an excavation in Caesarea, they came across an inscription that spoke of someone who was from Nazareth. And it's always exciting to see how throughout um, these studies, archaeological studies and excavations, we find more and more evidence that confirms the truth of Scripture. So Nazareth was a true place. That Jesus was from. And then we see, verse 27, who does he speak to? To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So the angel comes to this rather small, unimportant, rather forgettable city, and then comes to Mary, this poor, young, virgin girl. The custom of the day would have been around the age of 13 to 15 that, that girls would marry. So Mary is around the age of 13 to 15. She was a person of, of no great influence or power. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. He says, both in her station and her dwelling place, there was an utter absence of what the world calls greatness. So he chooses Mary was one just absence of greatness as anyone would look in and see Mary. They would just see a young gal recently 
betrothed to be married. So Mary was betrothed. She was legally pledged to marry Joseph. There was a covenant, a binding covenant to marry him that was put in place. Um, Joseph would have at that point then referred to her even as wife, the fiance, as their betrothed could even begin to refer that way. And infidelity would be treated as adultery and also most of the time that she would continue to live with her parents until that marriage. There's a separation still until they were married, but they betrothed. They were pledged to be married to Joseph. And Joseph, um, he was not a town leader. He was not of royalty. He was a carpenter. Uh, We see that in a couple places in Matthew and in Mark where we see that pointed that uh, that Joseph was a carpenter and, and Jesus was the son of that carpenter and a carpenter himself. So Joseph also was not a person of influence, of power, of prominence. He was Joseph, a carpenter. But although he was not a person of influence, he was, we see, a descendant of King David. He's from the line of David, and we're going to see that spoken of by the angel in a little bit. But we see here that God in all his wisdom and all his might and all of his providence, he could have chosen any location. He could have chosen any place, any couple, any time. He could have chosen a city of great prominence and well-known, not one that people would scoff at and make fun of and have jokes about. He could have chosen a prominent family, rulers or those who are wealthy, um, financial entrepreneurs, I don't know, but he didn't. God chose for Jesus to be born to a lowly, uh, humble family. And we're seeing that, the reality that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save us. There's no mistakes here. Uh, We see Paul write in Galatians 4, verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, so Paul said, in the exact right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. J.C. Ryle, he, he says this about this humble birth of Christ. Since the first advent of Messiah was to be an advent of humiliation, The humiliation was to begin even from the time of of his conception and birth. The common tendency of the day, and he's speaking of his day and time, in the 1800s, so not a lot different from now. (laughs) The common tendency of the day is to bow down before rich men and to make an idol of money. It ought to be carefully resisted and discouraged. The example of our Lord is a sufficient answer to a thousand groveling axioms about wealth which pass current among men. And there's just so many pushes and um, emphasis on gaining wealth. And here Jesus was born in humiliation, and it's an example to us. God can use us in our humility, in our weakness, even in our poverty. I think there's much grace found here that he can use us, just normal folks, for his glory. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul writes, says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, so that you, might, you by his poverty might become rich. So we're reminded of that, even in the birth of Jesus, that he came from all glory and became poor, 
that we might through him become rich, that we can be rich in grace, forgiven, um, given eternal life, rich in Christ, adopted in as sons and daughters of the King. There's much grace in this. So by his becoming poor, rich. So Jesus condescended. He came in in a humble birth born in lowliness and became man to know the full weight of suffering and even temptation yet without sin, and he enters in. And so he can continue to stand with us today with great mercy and great grace and great love. He continues to serve us and and care for us and protect us and keep and guard us until he might make all things right again at his second advent when he returns. J.C. Ryle says, It was a miracle of mercy, passing our comprehension, to come to earth as a poor man, to be despised and suffer and die. Let his love constrain us to live, not to ourselves, but to him. So this is an example of Christ that gave all for us, and we are called to die of self as well, and love and care and serve others. Verse 28. And he came to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. So Gabriel, he came, and he speaks these amazing words of God to Mary. And where we see in this the truth that our God speaks. Uh, He is one who makes himself known to us. God who does that, and he goes toward us. The one and true and only God is a God who speaks. And here he, through Gabriel, speaks to Mary and says, You're favored. O favored one, blessed one, full of grace, recipient of grace. So the, the verb tense here, it's passive. She's receiving the grace of God. She's favored. She is one of character and what so by the grace of God. She's the recipient of grace. Just as each of us, if we turn and trusted in Christ, we're recipients of the grace of Jesus as well. And we can note, too, that, that Mary, she's not the source of grace, but she's the receiver of grace. Much like how John the Baptist, if you remember that, he, he's not the light, but he is a forerunner of the light, and he's the one that, to point to the light of the world, who is Jesus. Remember, he's not the Christ. So we see this in Mary, too. She's a recipient of grace, and it says, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. Indeed, it's demonstrated in the truth that soon she will, will carry in her womb the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. I was thinking about that this week, too, uh, just praying through and reading through Psalm 91 and praying through that psalm. And there's some words of encouragement as the psalmist um, records promises of God to the psalmist. And this is the Lord speaking, Psalm 91, 14 through 50, or 14, not through 50, that'd be a while there, 14 through 15. This is because... Because, God says, because he, because he holds me fast, holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. So it says here, the God just promises those who love him and hold fast to him and rest in him. He says, I will be with you in trouble. And I know today if we were to open it up for testimony of ways that you've seen God be with you in trouble, you could give those testimonies. But here, Mary, here is 
these words that she is the favored one. The Lord is with her. And what honor that she has as being one chosen to be the mother of Jesus, the Son of God. And what great grace and mercy given to us that we become sons and daughters of King Jesus. Great grace here. Great grace as we learned in John 3:16 through 17 just a couple weeks back. For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son. He gave that we, whoever should believe in him, should not perish but have eternal life. We're reminded of that. And here, this greeting, it wasn't a normal greeting that Mary, from day to day, she would expect someone to come up to her and say, oh, favored one. Just was a little bit out of the norm. Uh, She was a little taken back by this and the fact that it was an angel speaking to her. (laughs) A little blown away. Typically, she would have been overlooked. She would not have words of honor bestowed upon her in this way. And there's great grace here. And then verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She's troubled. When the angel came to Zechariah, he was afraid. This angel appears in great glory and brings these words, and Mary is just trying to discern what is happening. What do these words mean? Why am I receiving this blessing? And she sought to understand what was happening, and no doubt she too was troubled and filled with fear. And we see that because of the response of the angel. Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. I love those words. (laughs) Those are good words. Do not be afraid. They're just filled with grace and mercy. I'm thankful for throughout the scriptures, we read those words. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. It's the most repeated command in scripture. Don't be afraid. God knows we're a fearful people. And we need to hear that again and again. But we hear this call. Do not be afraid. We need not be afraid in the presence of holiness. And the only reason, though, is because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that if we've turned and trusted in Him, that we've been made right and we don't need to fear in the holiness of God. And So this call is, do not be afraid. And we're reminded that, that we have grace upon grace poured out upon us if we've trusted in Jesus. As we studied in John 1, verse 16, that speaks about Jesus, and it says... For from his fullness, we all have received grace upon grace. And this is that Mary, again, Mary has found favor with God. Do not be afraid. You've found favor with God. Again, grace has been poured out upon her. So we see just in these few verses, all these measures of grace, of the humility of Jesus Christ and his birth, that he has come to those of us who are weak. I don't know if you're part of that group. I think you might be. We need Jesus. A call to not be afraid. And then verses 31 through 33, we see hope in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, in the birth of Jesus Christ, that he took on flesh, in that there is hope, true hope. Verse 31, and behold, you will, con- you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So here um, we have this promise that there uh, in Mary will be a child. 
and it'll be a miracle. She will, will bear a son. And we'll see in just a little bit, there'll be a little bit of an explanation of what's going on here. But it says that he, his name will be, what? Jesus. Jesus. It's a name um, in Hebrew would be, would be um, Joshua, meaning Yahweh is salvation, Savior. So Savior has come. He's arrived on the scene. Matthew 1, 21 says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. This is the angel speaking to Joseph here in Matthew 21. For he will save his people from their sins. He's coming to save. He's coming to rescue. We have Savior coming. And then it says, He will be great. He will be great. So the Savior, he's going to be great. And Jesus, he's like no other. He is great. There's no one like Jesus, no one before him, no one after him, no one will ever be like Jesus. He is great. Think about that as they think of, again, the Gospel of John, and kind of our key verse where we think of Peter, who, um, as the crowds leave, Jesus says, are you going to go too? But what does he say? To whom else would we go? Where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. He will be great. Jesus is great. Then it continues. The angel continues and says, And he will be called the Son of the Most High. He's the Son of God, Son of the Most High, the Most High God. A a term used throughout the Old Testament to speak of God. It distinguishes God from all other false pagan gods. All gods that are just merely so-called gods made of stone, Ah, made by human hands. He's a most high God. As I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded how in China, when we would share about Jesus, share about the one true God, we would use that term. We would say he's the, the most high God. The Zui Gaudashan is the highest God. Just to clarify that there is no one like him. And here we have that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. J.C. Ryle says it this way. He says, He was so before He came into the world, equal to the Father in all things. He was from all eternity the Son of God, so from all time. But He was to be known and acknowledged as such by the church. The Messiah was to be recognized and worshipped as none, nothing less than the very God. So here with this declaration, we're reminded that Jesus is fully God. And then we see that he is king. Jesus is king. And the Lord God will give him, give to him the throne of his father, David. So here we see Jesus is king. He's the Messiah who has come. The prophecy that there would be a Messiah king who would come in the line of David And he would reign, and he's fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies of the king that would come, who would be the forever king with a forever kingdom. Isaiah 11, 1 through 2 is one of those verses that speaks about that. Let me read that. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's speaking of one who's going to come from the line of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. And the branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And this speaks of Jesus Christ, who is king. And he's not just a king that kind of is here for a bit and then leaves. He's a forever king. Verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And the kingdom, his kingdom, there will be no end. So he has this forever kingdom that has begun as Christ has come, died and risen. And he reigns in the heart and the life of his people. He reigns through us, even the gathered churches throughout this world. He reigns. And he will continue to reign. He will reign visibly on the new heavens and the new earth. He will reign. He will return. I was reminded of that this week, again in the Psalms, reading and praying through the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 89, 3-4 speaks about this forever king who is Jesus. It says this, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. And then verse 26 through 29, he shall cry to me, you are my father, my God and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love, I will keep for him forever. My covenant will stand Firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heaven. So hear this call for this forever King Jesus who reigns now and will reign forever. Our hearts, they long, we long for good leaders, don't we? We long for true good kings. And from year to year, our political cycle to Cycle, or maybe we get a new boss or a new whatever in our workplace, and we hope that that leader is just going to make things right somehow. And sometimes we put a lot of stock, a lot of hope in them, but we find out, you know what, they're human too, uh, and they fall short, and they're not uh, to be our hope. Um, they're not to be our hope in any way. And we can be reminded of that, um, that our hope is not found in politics, the ultimate solution for our culture and for our families um, is not government. Um, they can help. Uh, they can stave off evil, but they are not our hope. Who's our hope? Jesus Christ, our King. Um, and when they fall short, uh, may it not cause us to despair, but may it cause us to long even greater for Jesus and be reminded uh, This fallen king, this fallen leader, he reminds us that we have one true king, Jesus, that our heart longs for, and he is a perfect king. In my Bible reading, I've been in Revelation, um, getting to the end, um, finishing out reading through the Bible. Not that I did it in one year. Uh, This is my two-year reading plan. I'm just a slow reader. Um, So I just didn't want you to be impressed. Um, But in Revelation... And finishing that out, no matter how you understand and interpret Revelation, I'm sure we have different ideas within this congregation. We can battle it out, have a debate, maybe do a panel discussion a little later. But however you understand that, we see that Revelations is written to us. Revelation is written to us, reminding us that we are a people blessed. We are people that, is, that are rescued and reminded and told that we are people under a king who reigns and who wins in the end. 
I was reminded of that. I think at the verse um, 14 in chapter 17 of Revelation that says, they will make war with the Lamb. Speaking of Jesus, the Lamb of God, they will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will conquer them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings and those with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Uh, I didn't have to look at a commentary to figure out what that meant. That meant that Jesus wins. He reigns and he will conquer. We don't have to doubt that. He is a conquering forever king. And we can find great hope in Jesus, the Son of God. And finally, the last few verses, verses 34 through 38, we see hope in the power of our God. Hope in the power of our God. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? She just how is this going to happen? And I don't think this is a doubting question, but just a question of how can this be? How will this happen? If it was doubting, we saw, um, if we were to read the passage before this, when Zechariah doubts the words of Gabriel, um, he becomes mute um, until the birth of John. So we don't see that happen here. We don't see a rebuke. She's just asking, how will this be? And Gabriel um, explains Verse 35, and the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Gabriel explains that Jesus will will be conceived in her through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon her, the Spirit of God, and this miracle will happen, this miracle of miracles, that she will become pregnant and will be this miraculous birth and this miraculous conception. And we see in the reality here the truth that Jesus uh, is, is that new Adam. Uh, Paul speaks about that in Romans, that he is the new Adam. He's untainted by sinful nature. He is holy. And we see that declared here, that he will be called holy, the Son of God. And we might ask, well, well how is this possible? How, can, how could that be? How could she conceive the Son of God. And some would love and do just throw out um, the virgin birth, say, this is impossible. Along with all the other miraculous acts in the scriptures, they just throw them out. This is impossible, Um, couldn't happen. But we don't need to do that. We're reminded, we're reminded that we we are finite and our God is infinite. Our wisdom and our our views are so limited. Uh, We were talking about that in our our Calvary Institute this morning, that um, our perspectives are so limited, even on just situations. Maybe we look at a situation of a person or uh, whatever it might be, and we decide, oh, this and this and this is happening. Then we find out out that we didn't have all the pieces and we were totally wrong about our conclusion. So even on earthly things, we, we fall short. Should it be a surprise that on things of God that we... Um, do not know all. Our wisdom, our view is limited, but God's wisdom and his view is limitless. We're not like God. We shouldn't be surprised when we're confronted with then with mystery and with tension and with things that we can't quite wrap our head and our mind and our heart around in scripture because we have a God who is greater than us. J.C. Ryle, he, he says it this way. He says, it's enough for us to know that the word 
has become flesh, looking at John 1, 14, and that when the Son of God came into the world, a real body was prepared for him, Hebrews 10, 5, so that he took part of our flesh and blood, uh, Hebrews 2, 14, and was made of a woman, Galatians 5, 5. And then he says, here we must stop. The manner in which all this was affected is wisely hidden from us in a religion in a faith which really comes down from heaven, there must needs be mysteries. Of such mysteries in Christianity, the incarnation is one. So he's saying, we have this faith, these truths that come from God, creator of all things. Of course there's mysteries. And here's one of those. And then verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. So we see grace in this as well, where Mary is given a sign, her relative Elizabeth, who had been barren way past the age of being able to bear a child conceives and is pregnant with this child. Already the impossible has happened and, and the angel says, you can, you can go and see. The impossible has happened. Nothing is impossible with God. We're reminded, reminded of that, that, that it's not us, uh, it, it is not us who, dep- who God depends upon, uh, but it's us who depend upon God. And we're reminded of that in this passage Another um, psalm I was reading and praying through this week was Psalm 90, 1 through 2, and it says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were, form, were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. just love that. Before the mountains out here were formed, before all of the earth and all that is in it, Our God is everlasting to everlasting. You are God. So we shouldn't be surprised when God does the impossible. We can rest in Him. There's hope in a God who can do the impossible. We can rest in Him. And then uh, we see the response of Mary. Mary says, Behold, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So just, she just responds in complete and utter humility. She says, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be. Let it be. And this is how we too are called even to respond to our God when he calls us to things. Just say, Lord, um, I'm empty. I'm your servant. Uh, may you use me. And I don't know if you're like me, but I struggle with this. I can look inward, and I can just look at my own ability, my own strengths, my own <laughs> task ahead. And sometimes I can just lose heart and be like, ah, it's just too much. But I call the rest, we're called the rest into the, in the power of our God who can do the impossible. We're called to serve, though, in weakness, which is good. To serve in our weaknesses and rest in, in His accomplished work, the work of Christ. And we're reminded of that. In these, just these few verses. Uh, so don't stop and don't just dig into these few, but continue to, 
to move out and we see more and more of the goodness of our God and the grace of our God and the power of our God throughout Scripture because we need um, to be spoken uh, to. Um, I know our culture says just speak um, your own words to your own feelings, to your own heart, but we need outside words speaking truth to us every day. We need um, Jesus. There is hope uh, found here, hope in our God who can and does the impossible. Hope is found here in Jesus who came in in humility to rescue us from our own weakness and our own sin. There's hope found here in Christ who is like no other, who's endured great suffering at the hands of sinners so that we might not grow weary and faint-hearted, as it says in Hebrews 12.3. And we find hope. Uh, As we look back at the birth of Jesus, that was... 2,000 plus years ago, that was a long time ago, (laughs) and we've seen nations rise and fall, we've seen leaders rise and fall, and people of prominence and power and celebrities and whatever it might be come rise and fall, and we've seen ideologies and, and false gods rise and fall. But Jesus continues to shine forth, as we've learned in John, that Jesus shines Present tense shines forth and the darkness that doesn't overcome him. There's still nations today and governments today that seek to crush the light of Jesus, but they can't do it. <laughs> he conquers. There's hope here. Amen? I hear, I hear it a quiet amen. Amen? No, amen, right? Amen. We see that Jesus still works today through his gathered people. He is Lord and he is King and his word still speaks. He reigns and his forever kingdom will continue and we'll get to enjoy it for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. J.C. Ryle says, There is no sin too black and bad to be pardoned. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. There is no heart too hard and wicked to be changed. The heart of stone can be made a heart of flesh. There is no work too hard for a believer to do. We may do all things through Christ who strengthens us. There is no trial too hard to be borne. The grace of God is sufficient for us. And he says, faith never rests so calmly and peacefully as when it lays its head on the pillow of God's omnipotence. We're reminded of that. Hope. There's true hope found in Jesus that's outlasted the years. It's not that fleeting hope um, that we talked about that in Broncos country that we fell um, so <laughs> short on, but it's just that example of so many things that we try to, to hang a little bit of hope on, but we're not called. It's never meant for it. Um, but Jesus is, and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and whoever comes to me will find that life. He says, you'll have life abundantly in me, joy full in me. So Jesus says, come. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for the kindness of your words to us. That you didn't leave us to ourself. You didn't leave us in our sin. You didn't leave us in our weakness, but you sent Jesus that we might know grace, that we might know power, that we might know 
forgiveness that we might know um, a rescuer, Jesus. And we thank you for that. Lord, help us to come in our weakness. Uh, I pray if any have been holding on and holding out to trusting in Christ that today that you would even move in their hearts that they would turn and trust in you and see the kindness of Christ Jesus and the power of, just, of Christ Jesus and find forgiveness in him. And Lord, I pray for, for all of us here that we would be able to recognize that uh, indeed we are weak, um, that we are in need and that you haven't left us alone, but you sent Jesus who took on great weakness so that we might be made rich, that we might be forgiven, that his grace might be poured out upon him and that we can rest in him and walk in obedience dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So we thank you for that. Uh, would help us throughout this season to be reminded of such truths and to be those who herald and speak of such truths. And even... Uh, and just pray even for this Saturday, dear God. As people come into our church building, who may be far from you, that we might uh, be the peace of Christ to them and to be able to speak words of truth to them and that they would know that this is a place that they can come and be loved and cared. And may we point to the light that we have in Jesus, I pray. For these things in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, may we uh, be reminded of